Hey, good morning. Good to see your smiling faces and uh, hear those testimonies. Really awesome, isn't it? Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We'll talk today about obeying God. See, obeying God really isn't easy. It never is. Because even as we grow up as children, when our parents tell us to do something, what's our automatic reaction? What's the first word we learn? No, not doing this. We don't like submitting to somebody else's authority. So, but yet we learn from Scripture that obedience is mandatory in our walk with Christ. Can't get away from it. You're going to follow Christ, you need to obey Him. I think some people forgot that because there's a sense people have been led to believe that I can live my life on my terms as a Christian, do what I want, and as a result of doing what I want, uh, God's okay with it. I'm thinking like, that's so far-fetched and so far from the truth, it's not funny. Jesus said in John 14, 23, these words, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to me, and we will make our home with him. So if you love me, you're going to obey me. James 1, 22 says, there be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving ourselves. And the idea is that those of us who profess to know Christ are to be obedient, obeying what God's words teaches. That's a challenge, a hard challenge, because we just like doing our own thing. The trouble with doing our own thing is that it doesn't lead very far. It leads to a lot of emptiness. So many people we meet just have this profound sense of emptiness, no sense of direction. You might even find yourself at this point in your life looking over your life and saying, with where my life is at now, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever you're at, you'll look back and say, as I look at my life, What's really been accomplished? What's really been done? What's, what have I done? Is there any legacy? Is there anything there? But we're to be practitioners of God's Word. Biblical obedience to God means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender to His Word. That's a challenge every single day. Let's turn to God's Word. The passage is Mark 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, in those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimonies we've heard already today, Lord. Awesome. Awesome as to what you are doing in young people's lives and older people's lives as well. One of the things, Lord, that was very significant was the influence of a Christian or Christian parents on seeing these people come to put their faith in Christ. Help us to be people of influence, Father, in sharing our faith so others will put their faith in you. Bless your word to our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Pick up the first verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Very succinct words. In those days, we don't know the precise length, but for 30 years, Christ has been spending time in a community called Nazareth. And as he did that, he just was doing what he needed to do according to the Father's will. And all of a sudden, this is where he jumps and starts into his, what I call, public ministry. In Matthew 3, 1 to 3, a parallel passage, we read, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, what he said, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. God was already preparing what Jesus was about to do. John had been preaching for about a year up to this point. The phrase now says, Jesus came. That's kind of an interesting phrase. As I said, for 30 years he's lived in obscurity in a place called Nazareth, a place that most people don't even know where it is. And so oftentimes the author of the book will say, in Galilee, so you know where it's at. So he lives an obscure life, waiting for the right point, the right timing, to go public with his ministry as Messiah. Sometimes we think, well, in order to be a, a person of impact, to do something that I need to go to the right schools, go to the right places. But you see, God doesn't do it that way. God takes people to obscure places like deserts, jails, prisons, places, little obscure towns, and he does his deepest work in people that he prepares for ministry. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And so, it said he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus was sinless, so his baptism was not for sin, but an act of obedience to the sovereign plan of God. I meet people say, I don't need to be baptized. Apparently, you haven't read Scripture. And uh, because uh, I've met people over and over that say, well, and sometimes I've met, I've met people that have said, I was sprinkled as a baby. That counts, right? And I say, you know what, in all honesty, what your parents did was, was awesome. It was amazing. It was wonderful. But I'm going to tell you loud and clear, there's no mention of it in the Bible whatsoever. It's not mentioned in Scripture. So what your parents did, was it good? Yeah, it was good. But there's no saving merit in baptism. I was baptized. My mom's here this morning. And I was baptized by my mom and dad. We went to a Calvinist Christian Reformed Church, and I was sprinkled as a baby. We thought that was really the right thing because we were being taught that. But when we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, so a little church, it was a little church at one point called Bramley Baptist. I remember the fall of 1968, my mom and dad and myself all being baptized together because when somebody opened the scriptures and explained to us what baptism meant, we went, the light bulb went on. Oh, this is believer's baptism. This is something I choose as God the Holy Spirit works in my heart, and as he works in my heart, and I respond to his leading, I go like, yeah, I want to be baptized because it's a step, an imperative command by God to say, hey, this is something that identifies you with me. So somebody, what's the symbolism of baptism? Very simple. A person comes into the baptismal tank, you saw that today, is a symbol of the old life. And when they go under the water, symbol of death. When they come out of the water, symbol of new life. And that's what happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ. The old man, the old nature dies, and then we receive Christ as our Savior, and we're born again, the Bible says, and there's new life resounding through you and I as we do that. So baptism is an act of obedience to the sovereign plan of God. Now, John was actually reluctant to baptize Jesus. <laughs> I think if Jesus came out and said, hey, I want to be baptized, you're like, uh, Really? I have a hard one with that. In Matthew Gospel, chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, it says, John the Baptist, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I want to fulfill the plan of God for my life. I'm being baptized. That's it. 
And then John consented. Who's gonna, are you going to argue with Jesus? Okay, Lord, <laughs> I'll do it. So why was Jesus baptized by John? He was sinless. He really didn't need any baptism. But in his baptism, he associated with sinners, placed himself among the guilty, not for his own salvation, but for ours. Not because he feared for the wrath to come, but rather, rather to save us from the wrath to come. So what did the baptism of Jesus signify? Let me give you a few points. It signified the beginning of his earthly ministry. He publicly identified himself as the promised Messiah, the one who came to redeem and save. It was a starting point for going public with what he wanted to accomplish. His baptism also publicly revealed total submission to the sovereign will of his heavenly Father. This is what God wants. I'm doing it. Thirdly, it's the baptism of Jesus stood as a profound picture of the gospel message he would preach and fulfill. It pictured his death as a sacrificial atonement for sin and a resurrection from the dead. We see in verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Uh, that's pretty amazing. When Christ comes up, the heavens were torn open. It's interesting to note in Scripture that the heavens were open to mark the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry, to accomplish the redemption of mankind. And in Revelation 19:11 it says, the heavens were opened, torn open, to mark the return of Jesus to accomplish his redemption of earth. That's happening again. Interesting. The Spirit descends on Jesus. It's a powerful statement about this. In John 1, 32-34, it says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. While the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, there's no way means that the Spirit comes upon a men and women in association to their baptism at, uh, in water baptism. The Spirit comes upon believers the moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We see that in the book of Ephesians 1, verse 13. Also in Ephesians 4, verse 30, where it talks about believers upon coming to the saving knowledge of Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. See, it's only faith alone that saves a person from hell. The act of baptism doesn't save a soul from anything. It is, in essence, a testimony and a celebration of the redeeming work of Christ. It's a person saying, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I publicly want to declare to everybody, I'm a Christian, and I want to be obedient to the Lord. It's a testimony of the fact that I've been saved by grace through faith. And then we see in verse 11, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Is God blessed? Is he thrilled when we obey him? The answer is, you ever think about that? Every time I obey God, he's going like, yes! Say, well, I never really thought about that. And you know, this is the first of three recorded occasions when the Father spoke from heaven. The second was when Jesus was transfigured in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, and the third was his last week before the cross. Three times God the Father spoke over Christ. This is God the Father blessing his son because as he sets out to carry God's plan for the next three years for his life, and God says, in you I am well pleased. And so as we look at that, 
another way to describe this blessing of God and the Son is, uh, what does that mean to you? Because we see the word blessing all the time in Scripture. We go like, yeah, that's kind of neat, kind of nice. But the blessing here of God encompasses elements of love, spoken affirmation, a unique encouragement. And truthfully, every one of us need that affirmation. Many of us have strived in our own personal lives to win our parents' approval or someone's approval in our life to say somebody, go like, well done, you've done really well. Attaboy, girl, that's really great. But we've never heard it. Some of the greatest athletes and scholars in the world are those who have sought and striven or strove to find favor, approval, and blessing because they never got it at home. So then it becomes something they have to earn. I remember talking to a pastor once and said, you know what, if you took time to really encourage the people on your staff, it would go a long way. You'd be amazed what they would do if you just would encourage them. And his words to me were this, I don't encourage or give any kind of blessing to any one of my staff unless they are achieving at the proper level they're supposed to. So in other words, I said, in other words, the, your sense of achievement and blessing is based only on performance. He said, that's right. And I said, that's wrong. Because what it says to a child is that I have to keep doing the right stuff in order to have the blessing of my parents. And if I don't do the right thing, it does means I'd... I wonder why people study, suffer and with insecurity, with insignificance. It's because they feel that they've never arrived and had that blessing. So this blessing on Christ that we see by the Father is actually an excellent lesson for all of us to turn around and look for how we can bless those around us. I remember being in a Promise Keeper seminar. We were talking about this whole aspect about blessing and how important it really was. And in that, in that seminar, I watched a man who was, I think, in his 80s, who called his son up who was in the 60s, and put his hands on his shoulders and began to bless him with all that he was as a man and who he was. And I watched that 60-year-old man with his tears streaming down his face because he never, ever heard that. The only time he heard, well done, is when he would work his rear end off and just work, work, work. He never got the affirmation, never got the courage. It's only when you achieve you hear that. What's that do? It destroys a person. Or they can become an overachiever. So the challenge is great there. Blessing is what we all need to hear. And we need to feel love and acceptance, not, not based on who, what I achieve, but rather on who I am. Well pleased, well good. It means to literally think well of, be well pleased, to take pleasure or delight on. To delight means to take great pleasure. I enjoy being in your presence because I just enjoy who you are as an individual. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, just, I had to throw this in. Somebody said, you're going to go, how long is this going to be? Give me another five minutes, we'll be done, okay? <laughs> Stay awake! <laughs> but I had to throw this in because the next verse is kind of like a real twist. And here's the twist. Take a look, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. After blessing comes what? Testing, trial. You see, you had to do that, didn't you? So for those of you who all got baptized today, 
I think it's fantastic that you were baptized. I'm glad you took that step of obedience. But I want to warn you, you're going to get tested. You're going to have challenges. Because nothing that Satan hates worse than an individual takes a bold step of obedience for God. Remember that. So, the testing occurred on the heels of blessing. All three Gospels record the temptation of Christ. All three coincidentally follow the baptism of Jesus and the approval of the Father. God has shown an important pat pattern for our lives. There's no time lag between triumph and temptation. You're never more vulnerable when you're coming out of a great blessing or victory than to succumb to temptation or tests. Sometimes, often, we experience some of our greatest spiritual victories. We also face our greatest spiritual challenges. Adrian Rogers said this, Be prepared. As soon as God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil will open up the doors of hell to blast us. Satan loves to attack us when we think we are the strongest. And so God's words give us a clear warning. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Are we prepared as followers of Jesus Christ who continually see being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, so that we are spiritually alert to the wiles and temptations of Satan? The Father was saying to everyone, watch my son. No matter what Satan is going to throw at him, he will go through it beautifully. And the same thing is true of you and me. You see, only what the Father allows can come into our lives. So when temptations, trials, and difficulties, and wilderness experiences happen, it's because God our Father allowed it. Why? He's molding you and He's shaping you to be a vessel for His honor, for His glory, not for your own. What does he do sometimes? Sometimes in order to silence Satan's accusation, accusation that the only reason you serve God is because of the blessings he gives you. Also show you off to a dying world that needs to see your faith in Christ is real. So when you're going through the trial, you're going through the temptation, you're going through the test, guess what? People are watching and they're saying, is that faith really real? Or do you fall away and say, well, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm just giving up. Remember this. Jesus was led by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. God led him into that test. He's like, great. So what you're saying, Pastor, is that when there's a real great blessing in my life that God sometimes can lead me into times of real great testing, you got it. But remember, God is in control no matter how difficult it seems. God is in control. So when the going gets tough, you say, the tough get going? No. When the going gets tough, reach out to God and say, God, you got this. Help me to learn what I need to learn. And when you do that, you know his blessing and his challenge, and you'll also start to grow, grow, grow. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to our hearts. Bless us, we pray. Seek us. Help us, Lord, to seek after the heart of God. Help us, Lord, to extend blessing to those who need it. And Lord, when trial comes, help us to stand strong in faith and in belief that, Lord, you are a God who has overcome all of Satan's tricks and wiles, and we can count on you to deliver us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.